Welcome to the Red Sneaker Podcast, your guide to success in the worlds of writing and publishing. Now, here's your host, best-selling author and founder of the Red Sneaker Writers Center, William Bernhardt. Hello, Red Sneaker Writers. This is episode 15 going out on March 25th, 2019. This podcast is for red sneaker writers, people who are serious about having a writing career and want practical knowledge to help them do it. This is a very special episode of the podcast, at least for me, because I'm recording it on the official release date of my new novel, The Last Chance Lawyer. This is the first book in a new series of legal thrillers featuring Daniel Pike and his eccentric and colorful cast of characters. The tagline is, Getting his client off death row could save his career or make him the next victim. I've planned this as a rapid-release series. The first three books will drop in the first year because I've already written them. I call this a series even though each book stands alone, tells its own courtroom drama, and yet many books will add together to tell a larger story, which is why we're releasing it this way. So the first book is available now, the second will come out in July, the third later in the year, so you can immerse yourself in this new series, which I hope you're going to love just as much as I do. So please check it out on Amazon and tell your friends Post about it on social media. Help me get the word out, and I will really appreciate it. My interview for this podcast is with Victoria Gherkin, who is the author liaison at Podium Publishing, a company that specializes in audiobooks, among others. They're the ones who released Andy Weir's The Martian, acquiring that when it was still just a book you could find on Weir's web page and, and download and read for free. They helped make it into a huge success later going from their audiobook to print and, of course, into the movies. Victoria will talk about why audiobooks have become such a huge part of the market, why you need to be in that, and some tips on how to do it successfully. But first, the news. You know, I have long maintained that people in the writing world and really the artistic community at large are the best, most generous people you will find anywhere. So it's always a little disheartening to me when I have to report on some story from the seamier side of things. And it seems like there's been a rash of them lately. I've I've done reports on plagiarism scandals and the, the Twitter storms arising around young adult fiction. And, and sadly, I've got another lead story this time in a similar vein. This comes from a new report from a website called FakeSpot, which says that fake reviews are prevalent on the Internet. What? Everything you read on the Internet isn't true? But they particular single out Amazon and similar retailers that post product reviews. According to FakeSpot, 30% of all Amazon reviews are fake or unreliable. Well, I think this isn't really a news flash to anybody that all Amazon reviews aren't golden. I've read a few that <laughs> were so comical it wasn't even worth taking the trouble to try and get them taken down. But 30%? 
where are they getting that? And I thought, uh, what constitutes being fake? Since it's obviously not imaginary, what makes something fake or unreliable? Well, their definition is if people have been hired to write the review, that's unreliable. Or if people have hired or enlisted some kind of artificial intelligence to write them, they also include as fake or unreliable reviews that have been induced by some kind of offering, like we'll give you a free gift card for whatever if you'll post a review. The biggest problem with that, according to Fake Spot, is that it induces people to write the review immediately and they may not have had a chance to sample the product yet. And so it's not really a reliable review. I have to admit, I've seen some people who have offered free books or free short stories if you'll post a great review. I haven't quite done that myself. I have certainly asked people to consider posting reviews before, and I don't really see anything wrong with that. Uh, but I wonder if Fake Spot would. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, nobody comes to any kind of review completely objective. Everybody's got a past, and sometimes they reveal it when they give the review, and sometimes they don't. I wonder if in the future we all have to be a little bit more careful about how we try and accumulate reviews, because we don't want fake spot claiming that all of our reviews, which will undoubtedly turn out to be the really good ones, are somehow fake. According to the company, they say that one in three reviews on these platforms are highly unreliable. And they do give some tips on how to figure out which ones may not be so reliable. If you see a sudden one-day surge in five-star reviews, well, that might be a indication that there is either a company or a, a computer program involved in posting those reviews. If you see broken grammar as I guess computers don't write so good as the rest of us do. Or if you see reviews from reviewers who are posting hundreds of reviews in one day, which realistically no human being ought to be able to do. Amazon has said that it is active in trying to track down fake reviews using a combination of both human investigators and automation to root them out and delete them. Here's a quote from the company. We estimate more than 90% of inauthentic reviews are computer-generated, and we use machine learning technology to analyze all incoming and existing reviews 24-7 and block or remove inauthentic reviews. Imagine that 90% of them are computer-generated. That's almost scary. Some of you will remember a story in a previous podcast where I talked about Stephen King being the first to enter the voice-first technology market because he has an Alexa app that is devoted toward getting people interested in his books. I predicted he would not be the last, and it turns out I may have been right. There's a new article in whatsnewinpublishing.com. They've done a study and come to the conclusion that U.S. publishers have lost about $17 million, or will, in 2019 because they're not using this technology to get people interested in their new lead titles. Uh, you know, you can talk to your Google device or the Amazon Alexa device and say, what should I read? Make me a recommendation or have the audiobook read to you even or give you a sampling, a sample chapter or a teaser or something like that. 
According to this article, if publishers continue to not take advantage of this new technology, they'll be losing in excess of $50 million by 2020. My bet is people will start taking advantage of this technology. There's been a lot of discussion in recent years about ebooks versus print and which is better and which do people prefer and which do they buy in certain circumstances. In the podcast, I've talked about how the big five publishers seem to be deliberately pricing ebooks high to drive people to print because they think that's the only chance they have of holding on. Uh, similarly, there are independent publishers and self publishers who are clearly pricing their ebooks very low so that they can win the bargain shoppers. When do people choose which? Because uh, most people I talk to do both. Well, according to Jackie Swope, who's conducted a study primarily of the UK book market, uh, they've got some interesting statistics on when people choose one over the other. Looking at consumers who buy both print books and ebooks, according to their study, 48% of those studies would still choose a print book if it's something they're studying or something they're doing for work. 45% will choose print for a favorite author, but a very similar share uh, said that they would choose an ebook when they're traveling or when they're commuting, and 39% would go digital, the ebook, for an author they haven't read before. I really like the distinction between, you know, 45% if it's an author who's a favorite uh, will go to print, but 39 go ebook if it's somebody new. That might be price-based. They don't want to spend as much on somebody who, you know, they might give up in 50 pages. Or it might be that with their favorite authors, they want books on the bookshelf. They want to be able to look at them and see them and say, here's my curated book collection, which I kind of understand. I love print books too, but honestly, at this point, we have barely even any space to put them anymore. And certainly when I'm traveling, which I do a fair amount of, it's nice to have hundreds of books literally on your ebook. Once upon a time, you know, carrying the books for your travel would be like a separate suitcase, but now you can have them all on an iPad. Here are some, uh, some other interesting statistics coming out of this study. As relates to audiobook consumers, 40% of those who use print and ebooks along with audio said that they would stick to reading, like in print, rather than listening if it's a favorite author or a favorite genre or a holiday read. But in other cases, they might just stick to the audiobook, especially when they're commuting. 35% for that. Price may be the key factor. And all of these statistics, or the unifier to use the study's word for both ebooks and audiobook consumers, because in both studies, most respondents said they would choose the cheaper format, whether that is print, ebook, or audio. Well, that makes a certain amount of sense and explains why the Big Five are pricing their ebooks so high and why everybody else is bringing their uh, ebooks much lower. It also points out what I believe is the need for the Red Sneaker Writer to be available in all formats. Now, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've got a new book coming out. In fact, it's out now called The Last Chance Lawyer. And what a surprise. It's available in all of these formats, in both ebook and print, including a special large print edition 
an audiobook, which, by the way, is read by yours truly, the author. So if this biweekly podcast is not giving you enough of my velvet tones, well, here's 11 hours more of me reading a story to you, which is really as much of my voice as anybody needs. I mean, at that point, we're practically married, right? As you probably know, audiobooks are the fastest-growing sector of the book market, and those exponential sales figures continue to climb. So this time around, I wanted to talk to an expert in the audiobook field. My interview is with Victoria Gherkin, who is the author liaison at Podium Publishing, a company that specializes in excellent audiobooks. I talked to Victoria about what makes a good audiobook, how authors can break into it, and also ask for some tips on how to make your audiobook a first-rate project. Here's what she had to say. Victoria, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Okay, this is my traditional first question. If you were going to offer one piece of advice to someone who wants to write, what would it be? Gosh, uh... I actually have to say, buy one of your books. I like this already. (laughs) (laughs) Just one. No, no, maybe all eight. The the books on writing, the Red Sneaker books. Yes, that's right. Well, and then after one of your thrillers to see how it's done. Oh, it just just gets better and better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in sales. Can you tell? (laughs) Excellent. Well, you are at... Podium Publishing, you're the author liaison, and you also handle acquisitions. And that's primarily audiobooks, right? Correct. So Podium only publishes audiobooks. So it's entirely audiobooks. Entirely audiobooks, correct. Which are, as we know, experiencing a huge boom. I mean, it's been booming for several years now, and it continues to boom. It does. Stratospheric. Why do you think that is? I think that is down to having an audio player in our pockets um, convenience of listening has to, has played a huge part in that. But then I think what has built on that convenience is just the wealth of material that people can listen to. Now Mm -hmm. Um, people talk about podcasts being kind of a gateway drug to audio books. But now I think it works both ways. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the the app store or the podcast pod app, you know, got right. people into the notion of having something downloaded that was entertainment that they could listen to on the go. Um, and now they want other things that they can listen to. And they find that their favorite author's book is also available um, on Audible or on other apps. And um And they can be entertained by that, too. Mm -hmm. You think the trends are going to continue or is it going to peak? We're not peak yet. We're not peak. (laughs) Well, it's still it is explosive growth. I think uh, the latest Q1 of 2018 had a growth in audiobook sales of, I think, 32 percent. But it's still a small part of the book market. Mm -hmm. So we can't lose sight of the fact that it's that book sales dwarf audiobook sales but in terms of growth um so it has a it has a ways to go mm-hmm. i mean there is uh there's definitely a lot of growth i mean you know north american market is 
is by far the largest market, but it's a big world that we live in. And uh, those other markets are going to expand as you know more people have cell phones in their pockets and mm-hmm. maybe want to listen to audiobooks first as a way of consuming their books. Um, there so. is at least some trend toward audio first, to use mm-hmm. your term, the people that are, you know, would rather listen to an audio book or some books that are being created only in audio format, mm-hmm. right? Well, and certainly Audible is is putting out um, some originals uh, that they're marketing heavily. Um, and I should say Podium distributes our audio books on Audible, so that's where you will find them. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't know, how, are your listeners mainly indie Writers, self-published writers. I don't. I don't know the answer to that, but I think they're all interested in writing. So go yeah, ahead. Um, I mean, there is a there's a sacrifice being made when you decide to go audio first, mm-hmm. and that sacrifice is book sales. And as I just said, you know, book sales are a larger market. So if you're saying, okay, I'm going to create a story that I am going to then put into audio production, mm-hmm. I'm saying I'm not going to sell it for like eight weeks in order that the audiobook can be produced and put on the market. So that that dynamic of mm-hmm. whether that makes sense to indie authors at this point, I'm not sure is entirely there. But, may, but maybe, I mean, maybe there's um, an opportunity for, for that. And what you would hope, I would think, is that the audiobook would then fuel subsequent sales in other formats, right? Correct. I mean, one would, that would be the goal. <laughs> but it, but it's also, it's interesting, that also brings me to a point I want to make about audiobooks being different. Mm-hmm. And you, I think, in your talk on premise today, really um, brought to me the, this idea that an audiobook is creating a world. Right. And it's a big world and it's a potentially a kind of different feeling world from the book. And so people who are readers often don't really like audiobooks because they've already created that world in their head and they don't necessarily need a narrator to do that. But people who love audiobooks and certainly what we focus on at Podium is to make our audiobooks of the best quality. And that is the first part is having a great narrator and the performer who will take the world of the book and the characters. And you talked about making characters who are larger than life and perform them so that it takes the, the experience of the audiobook to a whole different plane. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a different experience necessarily from reading the book. Right. Now, I've heard people say, and I bet you have too, that audiobooks, that's, that's not a real book, or, or right. listening to it isn't the same as reading it. And yet I've seen more than one study that has suggested that, uh, far from that, that actually people who listen to uh, audiobooks are not getting an inferior mm-hmm. experience. And in some, some ways, at least in some cases, it leads to a, a, a more uh, emotional Mm-hmm. and more immersive experience. Well, and you think about how stories were told from the beginning of time around the campfire. I mean, having listening to an audiobook 
are a story being told to you through your headphones is a very intimate way of receiving mm-hmm. a story. And certainly the narrators that we work with um, on our audiobooks are so talented at translating an author's work. I mean, there's no, it's not like they're, they're inventing things. They're taking everything from the author's page, but they just, you know, they, they can captivate their audience of one or millions in some cases um, to, to this story and make it a different experience. And it's, it's funny. Some of the authors that we work with have said to me when they listen, they don't necessarily recognize it as their right. own work. <laughs> it has become something new and different, mm-hmm. better, not necessarily better, not hopefully, definitely not worse. Um, but but just a different a different experience, and the, and one shouldn't. I don't think one should judge how people like to receive right. their stories. Yeah. No, I can totally see that. I've had that experience a couple times listening to audio adaptations of my mm-hmm. books. That you know, reading the manuscript again would be work, mm-hmm. but hearing someone perform it, well, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Does that inform? where you go with your characters sort of in, in future books? Have, has you had that sort of feedback from listening to the narrator? Have you had your characters say something that you think you want to hear the narrator perform? That's it. I'm not conscious of that, but who knows? My, in the early days, my big struggle was trying to, because the, my series was set primarily in Oklahoma, trying to convince them that everyone in Oklahoma did not speak with some kind of hick accent, <laughs> usually a deep South accent anyway, and that's uh. so wrong on numerous <laughs> counts. But anyway, your company worked with Andy Weir on his breakout book, The Martian, right? Correct. Can you talk about that? So that is our, it's part of our origin story at Podium. Um, I should say Podium was founded in 2012 by um, James Ton and Greg Lawrence. And they came to audio publishing from sort of different backgrounds, but very complementary as a pair. Greg was highly trained in audio production and so brought that experience and sensibility to the company. And James came from the sort of um, acquisitions, um, contract negotiation experience. And so I, I have sort of taken, fallen into his role um, on the acquisition side. And the 20th book that they published, that we published, I should say, I wasn't there at the time, um, was The Martian. And Greg found it on Andy Weir's website. He was giving it away for free. I, I think this was the story. And he his fans were like, please put this on Amazon and sell it so we can put it on our Kindles. And he did that. Wasn't really expecting much from it. But Greg mm-hmm. found it, loved it. He loves sci-fi and epic fantasy, but he loved that particular story and wanted to put a great voice on it, who is the great R.C. Bray, who is a, did a tremendous performance um, of Mark Watney. I think is more Mark Watney than Matt Damon. Sorry. <laughs> For the film. <laughs> he is, yeah. It is a great audiobook. And, and it really, so it was our first fiction audiobook. And I think that set, it really set the 
tone for Podium. It showed what can be done, like what the potential is there for uh, a great audiobook. I mean, it has it continues to sell extremely well. It's very popular on Audible. Um, movie or no movie, people people just love it, and so that you know that. But that's the philosophy that we bring to all of our audiobook productions. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a top flight narrator is going to be the right narrator because, you know, not every narrator is right for every story. Sure. So if it's an epic fantasy tale, you know, that involves Northern European-esque kind of language, then we might want someone particularly different for that. So we, we put a lot of thought into casting. And I think casting is, is certainly something that um, we're known for. And it's we have a good reputation for that, mm-hmm. and it does it, it. It makes casting makes or breaks um, the audiobook. So at this point, I think people listening to the podcast must be thinking, "Wow, how can I get into audiobooks? How can I get my books in that format, or write for it, or whatever?" What what advice would you offer people? Well, I think focus on quality. Um, I think flinging up uh, an audiobook edition just because you feel like you need it to be there on your Amazon mm-hmm. sale page is not necessarily uh, a winning strategy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say authors who are tempted to perform their own fiction titles, mm-hmm. that is a that is, I think, a third rail. Some authors are performers as well and they know their own characters and there may be a market for that. But from what we've seen, it's not, uh, that's not such a great idea. Probably the minority of cases. cases. And Um, the fact that you like reading stories doesn't mean that other people want to listen to it. Right. 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 Other than maybe your grandchildren or your children on your knee (laughs) telling you stories. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, listen to audiobooks. That's the other tip I would say listen to what makes a great audiobook and a lot of authors are are readers and mm-hmm. they're not big audiobook fans and right. and some of the authors that I talk to on a daily basis I will ask them I always start my conversations with them is are you an audiobook fan not because I'm judging them in any way I just want to kind of know where they're at in terms of how much I need to tell them about the market mm-hmm. um but also how much how much they Oh, if they love a particular narrator or, but a lot mm-hmm. of them don't. And and that's totally fine. But it does mean if they were then to go about producing their own audiobook, if they're not even a customer or a consumer of mm-hmm. that medium, then you're really starting from less than zero. Um, I've heard people say to an author before, oh, you have a great voice. You should record your books. But there's more to it than that, right? Um, there is a little more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's not just the the performance of the characters, but there's also having quality control mm-hmm. and making sure that the way you said a name in chapter one continues to be the same way that you say it in chapter twenty five. And we have right. proofers and editors, and we go back and get corrections made. So, and and listeners will catch those mistakes mm-hmm. just as they catch typos in uh, ebooks and authors appreciate that because those fans are heavily invested audiobook fans will will catch mistakes mm-hmm. and they've paid a lot for this product and it's um 
it needs to be of the highest possible quality. Do you have a sense, maybe a, a short list in your mind, what makes a really good audiobook? Um, oh, I don't know. I think it's the same as what makes mm-hmm. a great book. Character, right. really great character that you can, you know, fall in love with or hate. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> a great plot. You know, it, it really, I think it's the same. It is those same elements as as a great book, but the performance there, it's almost easier for me to say what I don't like in your book. <laughs> okay, let's hear that. And, that's, and that can come down to performance, really. I yeah. think a narrator makes a great audiobook uh, in how they are, how they translate the character with their voice. Um, and some some narrators have a very low key, low key way of doing it. They're not, you know, putting on on a lot of voices for the characters, but it, and it's still transporting and sort of their choice, their artistic choice in, in how they do that. It's, it's almost like an intangible thing in what, uh, what I have loved about audiobooks, but I still like to read as well. Right. Of course. <laughs> Victoria, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Victoria for giving us the skivvy on audiobooks. I don't know if I've mentioned this or not, but I've got a new book out now called The Last Chance Lawyer. And if you would please help me spread the word about that book to your friends and person or in social media, I would really appreciate it. Or post a review. Notice I am not offering you a gift card. I'm just saying if you liked it and you want to post a review, I would really appreciate it. You can find that book everywhere online and any place good books are sold. For that matter, if you're liking this podcast, please spread the word about that. I've been to two different writers groups the past two weekends, and both times I had people reach out to me and tell me they were enjoying the podcast. Does your writers group know about it? Or your critique group or your writing friends? Please help me spread the word about the Red Sneaker Writers podcast and The Last Chance Lawyer. Until next time, keep writing. And remember, you cannot fail if you refuse to quit. Mm